Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open up your word together, would you speak to our hearts and minds? Uh, Let us see what you want to teach us uh, in terms of being the church, uh, being what you have called us to be, what you have made us to be in Christ, Lord, that we would be transformed and we would live kingdom first lives. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. My family moved to Frisco in May of 2013, but we had made the decision well before that. We just had to kind of work through getting from Plano into Frisco. And as we were looking for homes, we discovered that with all the building that was going on, we could build a home for the same price as we could buy one. And we could make it what we wanted to be brand new, and so that's what we did. We built a home. And I got a really cool experience with my daughter when we were doing this, because we had the home, and they had not laid the foundation yet, but they dug all the trenches, they put the piping in. And I got to go out with her, and we took a Bible. Um, We had some pens with uh, sayings from Scripture on them and a cross. And we were able to bury them so then the foundation would you know, keep them there. And based on the schematics that we had, we kind of started from the door and we walked to right where the entryway was. And we were able to bury it right there with the thought that this would be settled on the foundation of God. One of the pens was from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Um, It was was a neat experience to do with my daughter. But it was also kind of cool to watch as they started building this thing. We would drive by just each little moment. Um, And and one in particular that I remember is when the foundation had finally been laid. And it's just this stone, this this cement, um, but nothing else yet. But all around it, they're bringing in the stuff. Like from, and you'd watch them through the process from wood to brick to all this stuff is here. We had a blueprint. Like we knew what it was going to look like. We had already worked out all the inside. Like we knew the color schemes. We knew what the carpet was going to be, where the wood was going to be, where all this, we'd worked all that out. We'd put money down. They were calling it our house. Um, and all it was at this point is just slab, nothing else. But, but we could imagine it. We could see it. And, and we had all the pieces. It just had to be built. I want you to hold on to that image. Paul, throughout Ephesians, he keeps talking about building. Um, He's brought up temple multiple times. And, and, And today, that image is what Paul presents us with. And here's what he's already said in Ephesians. In Christ, the fullness of God is in the church. And in Christ, you and I, brothers and sisters, are unified. That's what we talked about last week, maintaining the unity. However, just look around. In all practicality, in all reality, are we fully experiencing the unity and the fullness of Christ. You see, what happens in this section in Ephesians 
is Paul has said this so far. The foundation of the apostles and prophets has been laid with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. We have been given everything we need to do the building, but it has to be built. And today what I want to talk about is that building process that brings us from the unity of the blueprint from the fullness of Christ in the blueprint to the reality of those things in our lives. How do we go from here to here? How do they become practical, tangible? That's where he starts going. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We ended last week on verse six, where he had given this statement that describes the unity that is true. This is what we have in Christ, in the heavenlies. This is true. And yet, the expression of it is not always seen. We have a ways to go. Even as the expression of the fullness of Christ in us, also we got a ways to go. We got something to do here. What do we do? Here's what he's going to tell us. I'll give you the outline right now. And I'm going to keep the building metaphor going. Use the tools. Use the training. Use the blueprint. We get all of them right here. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Um, And I know that is about as clear as mud as you read through that section. Um, We'll give you some explanation on that, but here's the thing I want you to see. If we are going to go from the foundation and start building the building that he's called us to, the unity and the fullness of Christ that he is praying for, that he exhorts us to, it's going to start by using the tools that have been given to us. Look back at verse 7. But grace was given. Now, back in chapter 3, when Paul talked about his ministry, His giftedness, he called it the grace that God had given him. He's referring to the same thing here, but for us. Paul was given grace, and I tried to make a big deal out of the fact that for Paul, being an apostle was not a burden, nor was it something where Paul saw, oh, I get to give this to you. Paul saw it as grace. He saw it as, wow, I cannot believe God actually gave me this, and I get to do it. As he's doing his ministry, it was a blessing to him because he saw it as a grace. But that same thing is given to everyone. If you are here today and you know Christ, grace has been given into your life. Not a single exception. If you are in Christ, grace has been given into your life, every single person. And that grace... He says, we're given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift, you were not given something without the power to make it work. You were not given something that is too much for you to handle. Christ gave you not only what you could handle, but what he would empower you to do according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every one of us has been given grace. Now, we usually call them spiritual gifts. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. We've been given grace according to what Christ knew you could handle and I can empower you to do. Every single one of us. And those gifts, this is the image that he gave. Now, I just want you to know that from verse eight through verse 10, it is really complicated. It is, there are at least four distinct interpretations of it. They've been throughout the history of the church. Um, everybody disagrees on this. I'm gonna give you what I think in general all of the interpretations kind of share. I don't really wanna go into all of the details of it. To be honest, I'm not even sure where I stand. Right, so even if I did, I wouldn't be, but I know this much. This is the image. Christ descended and he conquered. He conquered everything there was to conquer, including death. He ascended above all powers. That's, that started from Ephesians 1. He ascended above all powers. And in that position of authority where he's conquered everything, he has given gifts to men by which to serve. What are the power of those gifts if that is the position from which they come? Now, let me talk to you briefly about spiritual gifts. We're gonna see in a moment that some of the gifts look pretty specific. He's gonna name five of them. However, I'll say it's my personal opinion. I think we spend far too much time trying to figure out what our gifts are spiritual gift tests, all of these various things, instead of just doing ministry. We spend far too much trying to figure out the details about what little narrow thing I can get into instead of doing ministry. What we're gonna see in a moment is that the purpose of those five that he actually brings out is to equip the saints to do ministry. If you begin to think of it like this, instead of going, let's see, do I have the spiritual gift of generosity? Do I have the spiritual gift of wisdom? Begin to think of it this way. You've been given grace by God to do ministry, to step into ministry. And that may be a moment where it requires generosity on your part. That may be a moment where you have something to say to somebody and it is God working through you. And it may be very much related to things you're passionate about. People come to me when they first join Redemption and they'll say, where do you need help? And I will say, what are you passionate about? Because if you're passionate about it, God may wanna use you in that area. You might have been given grace to take that to the next level. But if finding the spiritual gift becomes paralyzing to the point that you do know ministry, we're doing it wrong. Each one of us has been given grace by the Lord to serve. The question is not do you have it, the question is do you use it? So when we moved into this home, uh, we have an HOA, 
Um, and it actually was our first HOA. And it's a really ridiculously expensive HOA. I'm not even going to tell you how much it is. It's so ridiculous that some of you would say you need to move because you're paying that much money for your HOA. But paying all this money for the HOA, we get a number of things. But of all the things that we get, only one of them happens without us doing something. We get trails within our community, but we have to go walk on them. We get pools. We have two of them, but we have to use them. We get an alarm system that is part of our HOA that took us three years to call somebody and actually hook up. And now that it's hooked up, we still don't use it. But it was there. All of it was there. We have all of those things already, but we have to use them. Listen to me, church. You have grace given to you that you can serve, but you have to do it. That's the tools. But there's also, starting in verse 11, there's training. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All right. There are gifts that are given very specifically for the purpose of training other people. People ask me sometimes, um, how long do you spend on a sermon? And I will tell you that I spend, at a minimum, on a bad week, probably 10 hours. That's rare. Um, that's this week. <laughs> so wherever this message goes, just know, hey, 10 hours. Um, up to 30 or so. And, and for some people, they go, oh, God, yeah, yeah, let's go again. Some people go, really? How do you spend all that time? Because one of the roles that I have in Christ is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This teaching role, this is, one, this is what I do. The reason I spend that much time is because my heart's desire is to convey something to every single person sitting in this room that will mean something in your life. It's a training. We are here to train, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now notice, the work of the ministry is not for the paid ministers. Just notice in this text that the work of the ministry is what I am supposed to be training people to do. If a Christian sits in a seat or a pew and does nothing but listen and take in, you are not living the life Christ has called you to live, period. Because we are called to do ministry. I'm giving you these words and this lesson and I'm teaching these things to train you to do ministry. That's what it's for. Now, the training is different from what you might get in certain other professions. Hey, here's what it's not. I am not 
in all cases, every once in a while I will, but I am not in all cases. Let's just say for a moment that Carol has a gift, a spiritual gift of wisdom. She has at least wisecracking. We'll say maybe wisdom. I can tell you that the training that I'm doing is not apprenticing her in wisdom. It's not me individually walking with her and then individually walking with every single person in this room and training you in your particular area of ministry. That's not the kind of training. Now, I might do some of that. There might be other people who come alongside people and do that. But this is a different kind of training. Think about reading. And because I just want to make these things more interesting, um, I was thinking about reading, and I'll get to my point here in a moment. However, I found some interesting facts on reading that I wanted to share with you. Apparently, all of these are, well, most of these I know are true. Some of these maybe not. Reading about yawning can make you yawn. Just uh, apparently, in a study, reading about yawning can make you yawn. Books used to be chained to the bookshelves in libraries. We do not have that problem today. We might need to chain children to the bookshelves to make them read. Nancy Pearl, who's the most famous librarian in the world, is also the only librarian to have an action figure modeled on her. She has her own action figure as a librarian. I'm gonna get that for my kids. Um, one book in NASA astronauts' preferences to read, there were three of them, but one of them really stuck out to me. And apparently this is just kind of, they looked at what astronauts read. Um, in three books, this is one of them. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> I'm not sure why that would be a favorite book going into space, but you know, I just kind of struck me as interesting. Reading. Think about what happens when you train somebody to read. You train them to recognize words, to recognize vowels and the sounds they make, to recognize combinations. You teach them grammar. Here's what you don't do. You don't teach them how to read every individual book. You teach them how to read. They, because you got that skill, they then can take that skill and read. Now, there are some things that make it very technical where you have to help somebody along, but in general, we're teaching you a skill of reading. You then can take that skill and go, well, I'm gonna read this fiction book over here. I'm, I'm gonna read this book over here on math. I'm gonna read this book on history. I'm gonna read these directions on how to build this bookshelf. Or if you're me, you're just gonna build the bookshelf and screw it up and not read the directions. But you're teaching that, and then you take that knowledge and use it. I am teaching you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm teaching you who God is, who Christ is, who you are in him. I'm teaching you what God is like, the things that God likes. I'm teaching you and asking you to look at your own life and reflect on, okay, well, God is saying this and here's me over here. Because those things 
they are enough to help you step into ministry. If you learn more and more who God is, Carol, instead of wise cracks, you can be wise. <laughs> I can't, nor can anybody who's a teacher, a shepherd, whoever, you cannot come alongside every single person and train them in every single gift. Number one, I don't have them all. I just, I don't. Like, even if I wanted to, I'm not qualified. What I am called to do is to teach you who God is, what God's plan is, what you're called to, what Christ has accomplished, what we're heading towards. And for us to actually take that information and make it real, not just give us one more thing to talk about, not just give us one more thing to sit around in a little group and go, that's awesome, that's cool, I have this, I know this, well, I know this. Hey, let's argue about this theological point. That does not get us anywhere. You also don't learn how to read so that you can sit around debating reading. You learn how to read to read. You learn about God in order to serve him. Same kind of thing. And here's the interesting thing about reading. Here's all of these perks that come from reading that are not trained. According to studies, people who regularly read are more likely to vote, exercise, and enjoy culture. Reading enhances memory. Reading fiction books has been shown to increase your ability to empathize with other people. Studies have shown that American children who learn to read by the third grade are less likely to end up in prison, drop out of school, or take drugs. None of those things are trained. They are the outworking of a training that you got. They're implementing the training. The things that God has called us to and using our gifts, there are outcomes from the use of our gifts that only come when we use the gifts. We each have gifts in Christ. We've each been given grace. And one of my roles is to try to train you, to encourage you to use those gifts. So, what do we use them to do? Back in chapter four, says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's that building language again. Um, we're constructing something. We're building up the body, right? building the temple in which God is gonna dwell until, here's the blueprint, here's the vision. Right? When we built our house, we had, we had a, a picture of what this house would look like. We had a blueprint to look at all the various rooms we got to go to other homes that had the same builder so we could see the stuff they put in the homes. Here's our vision of where we're going. Hey, this is the completed structure. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's both things. Unity and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
All right, so he's got his building metaphor, but he's gonna mix it now with the body, with maturing. That's his main idea, maturing into something as opposed to being children. All right? What are we maturing into? Unity of faith, fullness of Christ. All right, this is the height of all of this talk that we've been doing about the body of Christ, about unity, about being together, brothers and sisters, all those things, because until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, here's the point. If Jeremy Gregory over here is the most faithful guy on the planet, He's close. He's almost, never mind, we'll say that. Hey, Jeremy, let's just say, Jeremy gets up every day. He does the daily office. He prays for all of you. He goes through the scriptures. Then he goes out and he puts it into practice in his life. He is patient with people. He forgives people. He's showing Christ's love. He evangelizes every single day in beautiful ways that people are like, oh my goodness, I have to come to Jesus. He's doing all that. That is not enough. Because it's not about Jeremy. It's about us. Here's what you need to realize and what I need to realize. Our growth in Christ is not just individually about me. It's about us. I think of the image where Christ, I mean, where Paul uses the body. I don't care how strong my hand is. If my arm can't lift my hand up, It doesn't matter. We're a body. We're not individuals in Christ. There's individuality within Christ, why we all have different gifts, but we all function together. You and I need to recognize that our growth in Christ is about more than us. It's about us, not just me, not just you. And we are trying to attain to maturity. Hey, this is what Paul is looking for. Building up to the point where no longer will the systems of the world, will our fears and our doubts, will the people who, um, there was an article that came out um, this week, and and the title of the article is something like, um, you know, archaeologists prove the Bible wrong. That was a big title. And what they were talking about is they have found Lebanese ancestors that have within them Canaanite DNA. And well, according to the Bible, all the Canaanites were wiped from existence. Therefore, we know the Bible is wrong. Hey, just no matter what the science is there, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, it says the opposite. It says God told them to do this, and they failed. However, if all you read is that title, and I mean, you should go, I mean, you read all these comments, and there's all these people going back and forth, and they're fighting about things and everything, and that's the kind of title you should not have to be taken in by. That should not, be, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do now? Because you have us, one mature man that doesn't have to be led astray by those things. We are, as a body, meant to not have this, as he describes it here, the to and fro by the waves, and carried about. Whether it is a poor doctrine, 
whether it is a false thing being said in the news, whether it's the struggles in our own lives, he wants us to grow up so we can handle it. My, my four-year-old says some amazing things sometimes. So out of the blue. I mean, just, he just says them. My family is driving along in the van and my son says to my wife, and I'm not in the van, she's driving, and, and he says, you're a bad mommy. Now, we're used to this by now. And so without missing a beat, my wife goes, I know. And she just keeps going. And my son goes, no, you don't know. You're a bad mommy. She didn't say anything, anything else. She just let it go. A few moments later, he goes, but daddy's worse. <laughs> There's all these comments that he says that we laugh at. They're cute. Um, he asked last week, how do I get divorced from this family? <laughs> He's four. And we're cracking up. I mean, Erin had to text it to me. She's like, you got to see this. You know why we're laughing? Because he's four. If my 11-year-old daughter says, you're a bad mommy, that means a very different thing. Um, We're going to have some issues. We're going to be like, what what are you talking about? We're not going to start laughing at that. Because my daughter is maturing. My son who's six um, for those of you that have made that from the like four to five, somewhere in there, there seems to be a switch. Like it just goes off one day. And all of a sudden, instead of these random inane comments that, he, that they make, you could talk to them. You can have an actual conversation with them. Not, not real deep, but you can have one. You can say really intelligent, like an actual intelligent conversation. We could do this with him now. We can go, you can't do this because of this. Uh, okay. What? What I'm used to is you falling on the ground and crying and screaming and because he's maturing. That is what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. We're not supposed to remain the four-year-old. We're not supposed to be totally self-centered all the time. We're not supposed to be making dumb, hurtful comments to each other. We're not supposed to be gossiping. I mean, these are things that four-year-olds do. We're supposed to be maturing, growing in Christ because we're being trained and because we've been given this grace to use to build up the body. Our blueprint is that all of us together are one mature man in the fullness of Christ, experiencing that kind of unity, not being thrown back and forth by the waves. And he gives one step to do it in this passage. There's more, but he gives a step. It's an interesting step. Look back at your text. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. That's his one kind of direct application in this particular passage. Speaking the truth in love. And here's what happens. We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is one of the steps you have this blueprint that goes, here's the image of what, you're, you, what you could be. This unity in Christ and this fullness of him dwelling in you and not being tossed around. Everybody using their gifts. Well, here's one thing you can do to start that process. Speak the truth in love and you grow up into Christ. Two things about that. 
speaking the truth here would entail within the context of the teaching gifts, speaking the truth about the gospel, about God, about Christ, sharing with others what is real as opposed to the tossing back and forth of things, the deceptions, the schemes, sharing what is real. Now, that may entail an encouraging word to somebody else. It might entail a confrontation with somebody who's not living the right way. There's all kinds of, but it's speaking the truth in love. Really, really significant. We had love from the very beginning in chapter one. We were chosen in love, and it goes all the way through. Here it is again. We don't do this as arrogant SOBs. We do this in love. We do this for the sake of other people. We do this to build up the body. To speak the truth in love. But you gotta know the truth to speak it. That's part of the training. That's part of taking what you learn and internalizing it. Not just, not just remembering the illustrations. And we're good at that, right? I mean, if the illustration touches you enough, it makes you cry, it makes you laugh, makes you think, makes you go wow, you can walk away going, oh, can I tell you why I tell illustrations? Two reasons, and two reasons only. My goal is to help you understand the text better. It's the sole purpose of the, one of the two purposes of the illustration. Number two, it's to help keep you engaged. That's why I do it. I'm trying to make you laugh a little bit. I'm trying to make you go, oh, that's really interesting. I'm trying to make you go, oh, I got it. Okay, that connects. Because if I got up here and just taught for 30 minutes, at least some of you, you'd sleep more than you do now. <laughs> Admit it. So the illustrations have a point. Unfortunately, sometimes we remember the illustrations more than anything else. You know, I have people telling me illustrations from like I used a year ago. They're going, yeah, I remember that right there. I don't have a clue what that had to do with, but that was funny. The only way we can speak the truth is if we know the truth. And the only way we can speak the truth in love is if we go back to the beginning of chapter four and we go in humility and gentleness toward others. If we're looking out for them and we're speaking the truth, not trying to attack them, not trying to show them I'm right, but for them. And ultimately, here's what should be happening, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, every single person in this room who knows Jesus is part of this, every single person outside of this room who knows Jesus is a part of this. The Methodist church, the Pentecostal church, the Lutheran church, the Catholic church, the Orthodox church. Everybody who names the name of Jesus is part of this. And that's awesome. We're not alone in this thing. We're not doing it very well. We're fighting way too much, we're way too divided, but we're all part of this. When each part is working properly, using our gifts, using the grace given to us, being trained, 
speaking the truth in love, makes the body grow. So it builds itself up in love. It builds up. And the unity and the fullness of Christ can dwell here with us. But we have to do it. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to think it's a neat idea. We gotta minister. We gotta do the work of ministry. We gotta build each other up. We gotta reach out to those outside of our walls. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, family. That's what we're called to. It is so much bigger than me by myself reading the Bible. It's not what we're saved for. It's not why we're called into Christ. We're called into Christ to build up the body and each other. We're called into Christ to share the beauty of Christ with other people. Building a home is a pain. It is a pain. I mean, it really is. As beautiful as the final project is, it is a pain. I mean, just to, everything you have to pick. How many of you have built a home before? Raise your hand if you've ever built a new home. All the stuff you have to pick out. I mean, you like walk in and there's this little room and they want you to take a, a block this big and go, okay, here's what our stone looks like. Imagine their whole floor made out of this. I don't have that imagination. I'm going, I don't know what that's gonna look like. Um, and we get two sessions to build the whole thing. Like, we're, how do we do that? I don't make decisions that quickly. And then you're expecting it to be done here, but then weather happens, and then this didn't, guy didn't show up, and then that didn't work. And it's just a pain. One of the things that we buried in there was that of 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things. Now, we buried that in the Christian sense of it. But for me, it was love must bear all things as they build this house in ways they told us they weren't going to. Love bears all things. Building the body of Christ is gonna be a royal pain because we're all a bunch of fallen sinners. And it's gonna be hard because as we go along, we're gonna screw up, we're gonna do things wrong, we're gonna hurt people, we're gonna say the wrong things, we're gonna make wrong decisions. The only way to build this thing up is to bear with one another in love, to have the same focus, same blueprint, same training, same tools, and to use them. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you chose us in love before the foundations of the world. Thank you that in Christ, you have given so much to us so much in our present, so much for our future. Lord, help us to understand that the work isn't done, that, that you've called us not to be on the sidelines, not to sit on the bench, but to be in the game, that, that there's a project here to build. Lord, and that you've given us the tools to do it. You've given us the training to do it, and we know what we're building. Lord, help us. For those who are already in the game, encourage them to keep going. For those of us who feel like we gotta get off the bench and get into this thing, Lord, strengthen us to do that. That we can be the people you've called us to be, bearing together in love, 
and attaining the unity that's in Christ so that we might fully know him. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.